Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning them, we welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Also for our friends at Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana, and also First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us as well. We're starting a new series called Unexpected Joy that is based on the book of Philippians. It has three parts to it. Part one, uh, the first aspect of it, I should say, is that it's like three legs on a stool. Uh, the first leg is the sermons on Sunday morning. And today I start eight sermons, all of February, March, leading right up to Easter Sunday, which is April 1st this year. Uh, eight sermons as we work our way through about 10 or 12 verses at a time through the book of Philippians. Now, part two, the second leg of the stool, is uh, this book that we've produced as a church. It's just excellent, wonderful Bible commentary within it and questions uh, to help you to study along with it. You'll notice on the bottom of your study outline, uh, right on the bottom of it, it says the workbook personal study pages each week by week. And you can get a hold of this book out at the display, the Unexpected Joy display out in the lobby and work along with me as you study this and meditate on that particular passage throughout the week. And then I'll preach on on Sunday. And then a third leg of the stool is the life groups that uh, we would hope you'd connect with. If you look in front of you, they're in the book rack. You'll see that there's a list. There's about a hundred of them. They're all over the place geographically. They're all over the place uh, different times throughout the week. And if you've never connected with a, a life group or you've done it and you haven't done it recently or you're not currently in one, boy, I would encourage you to do this. This is the time to try it out because it really is just eight weeks, short duration, so you're not going to get trapped into something for a super long time. And along with that, it, you know, depending on the group, it's only an hour, hour and a half. So we're talking an hour or an hour and a half commitment once a week for eight weeks leading up to Easter. And it will change your life. If you've never tried out a life group, I encourage you to do it. I've never had a person say they had a bad, a bad experience in the life group type of thing itself. Some you connect with more than others, certain life groups more than others. But I'm just talking about the whole concept of a life group. I've just like 99.9% of the time, people just say, Glenn, thank you so much for encouraging me to do this. So really encourage you, be here the next eight Sundays. Follow along in the workbook. You will get out at the Unexpected Joy display. Go out to the Unexpected Joy display. One big one in the middle of the lobby, one on the north side, one on the south side. Uh, either take this card out or just go out there. If you forget the card, just go on out there and talk to the people, and they will get you connected with a group, and that will help you get so much more. It's called layered learning, and it's a chance to just at multiple levels, personal study, group study, and sermons with the whole worship service. These three things, if we do them at the same time, it really produces life change. It'll change your life uh, more than if we just do one of those things and uh, not the other. So as we launch into this series together, let's start with this. Now, the main thrust of the book of uh, Philippians is that in tough times, we can find unexpected joy. And I'll be hitting that hard next Sunday in the second half of chapter 1. And that's a major theme because Paul wrote this when he was in prison. But in the first half of chapter 1, what I want to talk about is unexpected joy in relationships. Is there a relationship in your life that is a desert right now? 
and there's no, no water there. It's just a desert. There's nothing fun going on. You are not enjoying that particular relationship. And could it be that God wants to speak through his word to you and to me uh, here this morning so that we can find unexpected enjoyment, unexpected joy in that relationship? So we're going to talk about four keys from this chapter, from verses 1 through 11, to enjoying people, not just tolerating people, not competing with people, not just putting up with people, but actually to have a relationship you could never imagine yourself enjoying that relationship, and God wants to do something unexpected in that particular area. Now, relationships are hard. It's hard. I mean, because of our sinful nature, we tend to annoy each other. That's going to be the best part of heaven, is we will not irritate each other. We will not annoy each other in heaven. And I don't know about you with all the golden streets of gold and the golf courses and the jumbotrons football game 24-7 or whatever you envision heaven to be. One of the best things will be is that we will no longer annoy each other. Won't that be a, a great, great thing? Uh, somebody sent me this a while back. Ten ways to annoy people. Uh, number one, specify that your drive through order is to go. Make that very, very clear to the person there. Number two. Reply to everything someone says with, that's what you think. Number three on the list, finish all your sentences with the words, in accordance with prophecy. <laughs> Number four, signal that a conversation is over by clamping your hands over your ears and grimacing. Another way to annoy people is to holler random numbers while someone is counting. How many of you have ever done that? I've done that. That's like... That's like the most fun thing to do ever. Uh, number six, adjust the tint on your TV so that all the people are green and insist to others that you like it that way. Number seven, way to annoy people, staple pages in the middle of the page. Uh, another way to annoy people is as much as, as possible, skip rather than walk. Number nine, sing along at the opera. That's a way you can annoy people. Sing along at the opera. And number 10, go to a poetry recital and ask why each poem doesn't rhyme. And that, that bothers you. Another one that somebody sent me is the top five signs nobody likes you. Number one on the list, you remind your teacher that she forgot to give homework. That, that if you do that, so they know that. And number two reason, a sign that nobody likes you, your dog refuses to be seen outside with you. This is my favorite, number three, third sign that nobody likes you, you've actually had Mormon missionaries tell you, well, we've got to get going now. Uh, that, that's like the best. Number four on the list of people probably don't like you, you often find yourself asking, what would Vladimir Putin do? Uh, you ask yourself the question, what would Vladimir Putin do? And number five reason you, you can know that uh, nobody likes you, Randy Newman is singing, You've Got a Friend in Me, and when he notices you in the crowd, he stops singing. That, that's a sign that that's not a good sign at all. And so it's hard, and so we're going to look from Paul as to how we can go about uh, enjoying particular relationships that no longer, we no longer enjoy, they annoy us, and there is a desert in that relationship. Number one, be grateful for the good in people. Paul launches out in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, this is, this is really surprising. 
uh, because of what we see, the background uh, to the church at Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, I encourage you, kind of a homework assignment. You can be the one that reminds me that uh, we didn't have any homework, so let me give you the homework assignment. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Before you go to bed tonight, read this. This happens 10 years before Paul writes the book uh, to the Philippians. So this is how the church got started in Philippi, Acts chapter 16. And if you read that chapter, you're going to see that Paul was arrested illegally in Philippi. He was whipped in Philippi. He was humiliated in Philippi. He was thrown in prison in Philippi. He went through an earthquake in Philippi. He was asked to leave town. He was run out of town in Philippi. And yet he says to them, I thank my God every time that I remember you. Lesson number one, remember the best and forget the rest. Remember the best and forget the rest. He says in verse five, because of your partnership. Now in the Greek, uh, this word is koinonia, from which we get the word partnership. It means a deep bond. It means that you've been going, you go through something hard together and it bonds you together in partnership. It's a two-way relationship and it is deep fellowship and connectedness with another person. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, 10 years before Philippians was written, until now, he uh, writes this letter. And, and, and so um, he says here that hard times, he demonstrates, will bond us together. Isn't it an interesting thing that when you start reminiscing about old times, and sometimes we reminisce about the good old days, but you know something that I think we reminisce about too as the years go by is how hard something was in the past. And we actually get enjoyment from that. The harder it was and the more distant in the past it is, the more we enjoy talking about it. And there's a bond that happens when you go through hard times together. That's why people that have gone through combat together, physical combat, uh, there's a deep bond there. But if you go through spiritual warfare together, there's a deep bond, a connectedness. And the harder the time and the partnership going through that hard time, the harder the time, the deeper the koinonia, the partnership, the bonding is uh, within that time. Now, I think the same thing is true in our relationships with each other, the good things that we enjoy about each other and the things that we don't enjoy so much. You know, for example, when we talk about another person, their good traits and negative traits, we'll say something like this. He or she is a good person, but. He or she is a good person, but. Now, let me just ask you, which one are you going to wax eloquent on? You say, oh, I love them. Oh, you know, they're, they're a good person. Oh, they're a nice person. But, and now we wax eloquent on what we don't like about them, how they annoy us, how they irritate us, uh, the negative side. Now, what if we reverse that? What if we say, okay, he or she has some flaws, but, and then we waxed eloquent on the positive attributes about that person. That would change everything, wouldn't it? To be grateful for the good in people. Paul doesn't uh, write to them and say, oh, all these bad things happened to me in Philippi. Instead, he, he, he chooses to focus on the positive uh, within that experience, the positive within that relationship. And what if we started changing things around, reversing things, and we say he or she is, is a good person. My husband or my wife, he's a good guy or she's a good guy, gal, uh, but, and then we wax negative. What if we flip that around and say he or she, yeah, they've got a couple of flaws, but, and then we go on and on and on about their positive traits. Now, I'm not talking about denying hurts. When somebody has hurt you, I'm not talking about denying that. But I'm talking about emphasize their strengths. I'm not talking about denying hurts, but emphasizing their strengths. You know, you've heard me say this many times. Everybody's a unique combination of 10 strengths and 10 weaknesses. 
And we're all a unique combination of 10 strengths and 10 weaknesses. This is why it is so foolish uh, to, to leave the husband or the wife of your youth, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and to go after uh, another person. Uh, and I'm not talking about if you were deserted. I'm not talking about if adultery is involved or, or physical abuse was involved. But, but the temptation people give into to just see uh, somebody else, they, they see somebody at work and they're only exposed to their good attributes and they don't see the, the downside. They see the 10 positives, they don't see the 10 negatives. And then the person that they're living with in, in marriage, at, at home, uh, over time you tend to forget about the good traits that drew you to that person in the first place. And you tend to magnify, oh, if only they were different in their area. Oh, if only they didn't have this weakness. And so, if we give in to Satan's lie of the grass being greener on the other side of the fence, we leave that person and go after another. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, that when people have sat with me in my office and they've been honest about this thing, they have said to me, I made a mistake. I have just traded in for a whole new set of problems. And I got some more problems on top of that as well. I began to discover, as you will, over the months, the 10 negative traits that went along with the 10 positive traits. And now I remember the 10 positives from my earlier relationship that drew me to that person in the first place. Uh, This happens when we're on Facebook with an old high school girlfriend or or boyfriend. Boy, I hear so many marriages getting broken up. They go on Facebook and and, and, and they just kind of, oh yeah, all the good times and, and this and that. And they forget why you didn't continue going out with her because she was crazy okay that that's why you didn't do that but you forget that over time or he was he was not a nice guy he was not a good guy and you've forgotten that and I'm telling you how many I've just seen where where that's happened and it just breaks your heart and when they get honest with me in, in my office sometimes they're too proud and, and won't admit it but I'm telling you people will say to me you know what I should have just stuck with the the first relationship because I just trade in for another set of 10 positive, 10 negative, and now I've got another whole set of problems on top of that as well. Let me share some quotes that I love about this subject. Alphonse Carr writes, Some people grumble that roses have thorns. I'm grateful that thorns have roses. Uh, Someone else, this is anonymous, we don't know who said this. Anyone can find the dirt in someone. Be the one that finds the gold. Anybody can find dirt on somebody. Be the one that finds the gold. Uh, here's uh, Dr. Rick Hansen. As you become more proficient in finding positive aspects in other people, you get better at seeing positive aspects of yourself. And your research has shown that the more critical people uh, of other people are the unhappiest people because you know what the problem is? They've honed their ability to be critical of others and they turn that on themselves. And they're critical of themselves. But the more, as this doctor says, the more proficient we become at finding positive aspects in other people, we get better at seeing positive aspects of ourselves, And we extend ourselves more grace, even as we learn to extend other people more, more grace. Uh, here's another quote I love from Bruce Kazanoff. He writes, do your best and you might have a nice little career. Bring out the best in others and you can change the world. Do your best, and you might have a nice little career. Bring out the best in others, and you can change the world. Do the math. To accomplish anything significant, you have to involve other people. And so, number one, be grateful for the good in people. And Paul was a master at drawing out the best in other people, and it changed the world. 
We're here 2,000 years ago. Biggest movement in world history. Most widespread, most prevalent in most cultures, most ethnicities, most language groups around the world. Biggest movement in world history. Why? Because he was grateful for the good in people and he drew out the best in people. Number two, uh, second key to enjoying people. Practice positive praying. Practice positive praying. Verse uh, four of chapter one. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Now, how do we try to change people? We usually engage the skilled tactic of nagging. Nagging is our favorite way to change other people. And we don't pray for them. I mean, think of the most annoying people, person in, in your life right now. On the count of three, I'm going to have you just shout out that name. And just shout that, but they, yeah, in unison, Glenn. Okay, yeah. So, so, so who's, who's, who's the... who's the most annoying people? And I confess to you, when I think about that, I hardly ever pray for them. I hardly ever pray. I complain about them. I think bad things about them. Um, If I were in a close enough relationship, I might nag them. I don't pray for them. And and yet it doesn't work, and yet we we apply the nagging strategy 10 times as much as we do the praying strategy. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Lesson number two, the quickest way to change a relationship from bad to good, is to start thanking God in prayer for people. When's the last time we thanked God in prayer for a particular person? Now I'm going to get myself in real trouble. Think of the person that's opposite from you politically, a political leader that most annoys you. When's the last time you prayed for that person? It's quiet in here. It's quite, I, I can't think of a time I've done that. I think of people from opposite political persuasion, and boy, they irritate me to death. They annoy me. Oh, my goodness, I was listening to the news yesterday. and just got so annoyed at somebody. But I never thought to pray for them. Actually, I did because I was going to preach on this tomorrow, but, and it reminded me, and I thought I better do it so I wouldn't be a hypocrite. But, yeah, I, I, I began to pray. I, li- I really did. I just began to pray in the car, listening to the news report. Just pray for that person. Quickest way to change a relationship from bad to good is to start thanking God in prayer for people. Uh, Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11 gives us four ways to pray uh, for people in our life. Here's what Paul does. Watch his model. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Pray for them that they'll be able to figure out the wise choices and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and put those choices into action. And then verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, Look there at your uh, study outline and you'll see uh, the four things that you can see as as a pattern. This week, I want you to think of the person that you've stopped enjoying in your life. Who's the person that your relationship has become a, a desert? Who's that, who's that person that you no longer enjoy them? It's become a desert. And begin to pray for others that they will do four things. Pray, pray for that person. What to pray for others. Pray that they will, number one, out of verse nine, grow in, in, in love. A couple from verse 10. First of all, make wise choices and then also do the right thing. And then a, a fourth one from verse 11, live for God's glory. And I tell you, it'll change your heart towards that person if it's somebody far off that you don't know, you know, like some kind of a person in, in culture or, or whatever that bugs you. But it'll help most of all the people that you do know as you begin to pray by name for the people in your life where it's a desert in that relationship. You will find unexpected joy if you start praying for them 
uh, with positive praying. And then number three, be patient with their progress. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Whatever God starts, he always finishes. And so lesson number three is this, God is not finished with people. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, years ago, there were people that walked around, they had a little button that had like these random letters on it. It went like this. P-B-P-W-M-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Can anybody remember what, what that meant? Anybody want to give me a shot? Please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. Please be patient with me. God is not finished with me with. I love what Ruth Graham, the wife of the prominent evangelist Billy Graham said. I, I love this. I saw a sign on a strip of highway once that I would like to have copied on my gravestone. It said, end of construction, thank you for your patience. Isn't that great? Put that on a tombstone. How many of you came this morning saying, I, I hope I get some great ideas about what's going to be on my tombstone. That's why you came to church today. But, but she saw this sign, end of construction, thank you for your patience. And she said she liked that on her tombstone. End of construction, uh, thank you for your patience. God is not finished with people. Now look at your own life. Give yourself grace in this. And look over the years, and you get discouraged. I get discouraged. Lord, why don't I see more progress in this area? People say to me, Pastor Glenn, I get so discouraged because the Christian life is three steps forward, two steps back, um, two steps forward, fall down, fall four steps back, six steps forward, ten steps forward, three steps back. I mean, it kind of goes up and down. But, but then I'll say to them, well, are you a different person than you were five years ago? And they'll go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I may not be a different person from yesterday, may not be a different person from last week, but if I look over five years of my life, God is changing me little by little over time. Yes, there, there has been progress there. It, it's it's kind of like, this is kind of a wacky illustration, it's kind of like the stock market. Let me ask you, are there good days and bad days in the stock market? How many of you had a week last week just like the stock market, okay? You fell down, you moved back five steps in your Christian walk. You had a lousy day on Friday. You had a lousy week. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, does the stock market generally do well over the past year? Did it do well? Did it do well over the last five years, after the last ten years? That's what our whole investment philosophy is, is that long-term. You'll have bad days, you'll have good days, but long-term, It'll kind of get you where you want to be. And the same thing is true with spiritual investment. Uh, You're going to have good days and bad days in growing to be more and more like the character of Jesus. Good days and bad days in fulfilling God's plan and purpose for your life. But over the long term, God is not finished with people. Let's go back to verse 6 if we could do that. I just love this verse. Being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Anybody want to say amen to that? And so God is not finished with you, and he's not finished with other people. Now, will we apply it to other people. Are we able to enjoy the people of our life in process, or do we wait until they're perfect? What do we do? Are we going to be able to enjoy them in process, or are we never going to start enjoying them until they're perfect? We do this with our friends. We do this with our spouse. We do this with our kids, where we're always adding conditions. Well, if they just change in this area, I can start enjoying them rather than tolerating them. And it's like a finish line, and we're always moving it 
further ahead, and our, our spouse, our husband, our wife, our closest friends, uh, the people that we are connected with at work, somebody, a work colleague, a fellow student at school. And we say, well, if they start, if they just change in this area, I would be able to enjoy them. And so God asks us, are we able to enjoy people in process, or are we just going to wait and be uh, impatient with them, and we just are going to wait until they're perfect, which will never happen until we get to heaven. And so can we do that? Can we learn to enjoy the people of our life while they are in process, not demanding perfection before we enjoy them? Here's our mistake. We judge others by how far they have to go rather than how far they have come. And we do that to ourselves as well. We, we judge ourselves by how far we have to go. We get so discouraged. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't press on. Later on, and there's a verse in Philippians that says, I press on toward the prize. Absolutely. And justification is when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and now it's just as if we had never sinned. We're perfect in His sight. But sanctification means that that is not reality yet. And so we have to uh, work through day in, day out, three steps forward, two steps forward, back. We're, we're in process. Glorification is when we get to heaven. And in heaven, I will no longer annoy you. In heaven, I will no longer go too long in my sermons. In heaven, I will never use the same illustration more than once. They will all be fresh, and the stories will all be new. Did <laughs> somebody say praise Jesus? Did somebody say, I don't know. What did Maddie say? Yeah, I mean, in, in heaven, glorification, we're going to be perfect. Now, God sees us as perfect because Jesus is in us. Someday we're going to get to heaven, glorification, we will actually be perfect. But in the meantime, of sanctification, God is not finished with people. And then number four, love people from the heart. Verses seven and, and eight. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains, as he was in prison there, writing to them, or defending and confirming the gospel, he was about to go on trial for the Christian faith, all of you share in God's grace with me. Verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection. It carries with it the idea from my intestines. I love you from the guts I love you deep down. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection, the deep down love and care and koinonia and, and affection of Christ Jesus. Love people uh, from the heart. Rick Warren has written, if people are not in my heart, they will be on my nerves. If people are not in my heart, they will be on my nerves. Now, here's what we need. We need a new heart. Because I, with my heart, with Glenn's heart, I cannot love people the way that I need to love them. But I need a new heart and that's what Jesus does. He gives us a heart transplant. Such a wonderful thing. You receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today, and if you're not sure if you've done that, if you look in front of you in the book rack, where I was just calling your attention with regard to the Bible studies, right there in your book rack, uh, it says a resource, how to become a follower of Jesus, how to go about having God give you a heart transplant and receive Jesus into your heart. And now the beautiful thing about that is there is nothing more practical when people annoy you than to call in the name of Jesus. Jesus, I am getting very irritated right now. Would you live your life through me? Would you have your heart for this person rather than my heart? Would you say what you would say rather than what I want to say? Galatians 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And so we receive Christ. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new person, has a new heart. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so you get a new heart. You get a heart transplant. And if you've never done that before, today can be your day. And it's got the three steps there, a little suggested prayer. And if you prayed that prayer in the past or you'd like to pray it today, you're welcome to share the Lord's Supper with us, which is just an outward way of saying that we have a new heart. We've received, we've opened our heart and received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the bread represents his body that was given for us on the cross. And his, the cup represents his blood that was shed for us on the cross so that we could have a new heart. And when we respond to people, we could call on Jesus to have his heart for them rather than my heart. Romans 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Lesson number four. The secret of enjoying the people in my life is to be filled with God's love. An old fable tells how different instruments tried to master a piece of iron. The blows of the axe fell heavily, but its edge became more and more blunt. The saws, relentless teeth, worked on the piece of iron until they were worn down or broken. The hammer's head flew off After the first stroke, despite all their efforts, the iron remained unchanged. Finally, the flame curled gently around the iron, embraced it, and never left until the iron melted under its irresistible influence. Love can melt even the most hardened of hearts. This is back to a verse we studied in Proverbs last month. But I love the verse. We didn't talk about it, but I just loved reading it. That a gentle answer can break a bone. A gentle answer. The hardest heart can be melted by love. And if we pray for God's, God's heart for that person where the joy has gone out of that relationship, it's a desert. You want to enjoy it once again. The, the flame of God's love can melt that relationship, can cause a spring to come up in the desert, can cause a stream to flow in that desert. There can be unexpected joy in a place where we would not expect it. Now, before you go to bed tonight, I've got two things for you to do. Read Acts chapter 16, and then write down the name of either four different people or one person that all four of these apply to. So either one person on all four or four people that that it applies to. Four questions. Number one, who do you need to be thankful for? Who's somebody you need to be thankful for and and emphasize their positive traits rather than their negative ones? Number two, who do you need to do positive praying for? Number three, who do you need to be patient with and begin to enjoy them in process, not waiting until they're perfect? And number four, who do you need to start loving from the heart. Oh, Jesus, would you give me your heart towards that person? Oh, oh, Jesus, I I need a new heart towards them. Would you melt my heart? Would you melt their heart uh, under the influence of your love?